I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And also me, Ian Morris. And as ever, week to week, brought to you, all of you, by you. Thank you so much to our patrons supporting us each week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech and leaving us great reviews, mostly on iTunes. Um, if you are a patron, this is your extended cut of this week's show, of course. And if you're not yet a patron, but would like to have a try out of our extended cuts and our uh, weekly columns and, and our as live unedited versions, uh, head to patreon.com slash UK tech, where you can find out how to support us uh, with no commitments expected, no contracts, nothing like that. Uh, thank you very much to uh, several new patrons we've had since last week's episode. Leslie Longhurst, Phil Conibeer, Dave Seath, Ricky Wakefield, Giles King, Steve Prigg, you guys are amazing. We love you. I love you personally on a very deep level. Um, thank you very much for um, for helping supporters, keeping us motivated, and uh, soon paying for a new microphone for Ian, which he's uh, dearly excited which, about. Which, well, which I don't need. Now, before we progress any sh- any further with the show, uh, there's something I wanted to address. He's going to address the elephant in the room. There is an elephant in the room, which is challenging in a small soundproofed uh, room in, in your house. Uh, but there is an elephant in this room, and I, I was very upset uh, this week, very cross. Um, and uh, it concerns a review uh, that we had on iTunes. Now, I should make something a little bit clear. When you've been a journalist uh, in mainstream media for a decade or, or longer, you get very used to people telling you you're wrong, telling people you should, telling people telling you you should be fired, you should throw <laughs> yourself off a building because of your opinions. All of which I've had. Ian has had many. Ian gets them weekly. Uh, I told you to throw yourself off a building. Uh, somebody didn't like that I said Opera should give up making uh, desktop browsers and focus no, on mobile. They, they, they absolutely should give up desktop browsers. It's a hateful product. Anyway, I, said, sorry. I, I said that in 2007. <laughs> Someone says I should kill myself for that yeah. opinion. Uh, Prove them wrong on both counts, didn't I? I still believe well, that. <clears throat> yes. And I, I mean, really, if there's one thing you're going to do online, it, it shouldn't be to tell people to kill themselves. Like, there's, it, there's few things lower than that. Anyway, carry on. However... Uh, This week, uh, I did notice a review on iTunes, and I wanted to address uh, a falsehood uh, contained within, just in case anybody uh, is under a false impression about what we're doing uh, with Patreon and by having two versions of our show. Uh, The review, which was a one-star review... um, uh, written by somebody which called... we can live with to be fair like if people genuinely don't like the show then it's only reasonable that they're able to give it a, a rating that reflects that but as you'll get on to it has to be a genuine thing right lots of people don't like other people's stuff and that's fine bad reviews are fine you know bad reviews in a way help you find you sort of notice things that maybe mm. the people who really like you don't bother pointing out so they can be really helpful uh, and we're grateful for all reviews it helps us refine the show however this one uh, is uh, misleading and and very upsetting actually um written by somebody called wagon wheel uh, and the and the review the one line review is this sad that this used to be a free podcast now you are expected to pay to hear the full version disappointed sad face emoji now i have to address this in case anybody listening uh believes that something has changed fundamentally here so 
the reason why this uh, upset me so much number one this did not used to be a free podcast. It is still a free podcast. Thousands of people listen to the show for free, and those thousand, thousands of people we adore. And frankly, if we didn't have the f- people listening for free and only had people paying, I would consider that a failure on our part because it's those people who are leaving reviews, who are telling their friends, who are sampling us and, and potentially starting this into us for the first time. That's what keeps the interest in the wider market going on on mass um secondly uh it didn't used to be a free podcast because it still is uh we didn't stop doing that i we think that was your i think that was your first that point. was my first point but i have to continue on that you know the show <laughs> the show is still the free show is still the same length it always used to be the way that it works is that rather than recording the same amount of stuff we used to and then cutting stuff out and giving the the free feed a shortened trimmed version we still give them exactly the same length version uh, with the same stuff it's just that we spend more time recording a longer version for uh, the patrons for the people who want it who have given us feedback yeah. to say these are the things that we like about the show and so what we do is we do more of that we review more um... sources for stories in the week we record for a longer period of time in order to curate a bigger list of stories to then whittle down into those two versions so it's it you know and then the third point i have to highlight is expected to pay if anybody is under the impression that we th- that we think everyone should be paying for the show you are wrong it is just not we we like the people who uh, choose to pay for some more because it does help us it does support us you know we are there has to come a point where something ultimately to... it keeps ads out of the program right it, it means that people don't have to sit through a tedious mention of a product they might or might not be interested in but having it you know because th- those adverts are bothersome and yes. always, almost always get skipped and that means you end up sort of maybe skipping part of the show and it, I, you know ad- adverts are uh, um, we ha- we certainly had offers, didn't we? And and for re- relatively good amounts of money, but it's it's not something either of us really want to do. We're, as as professional writers, no. we are largely sick and tired of being monetized against with adverts. Yes, that is that is exactly one hundred percent right. The reason I set the goals and the targets for Patreon the, the level I did is I used as an as a, as a benchmark the amount of money we were offered to include ads into the show that I turned down. Uh, to say, right, well, that's how much money every month I'm turning away by not having ads. So that's how much I would like the Patreon to be able to do, which, by the way, you've hit. And and that is now what the show makes. And that's why we still don't have ads. It's why we can afford to do a free version that involves editing two separate versions of the show every single week. You know, it's 15 hours of my week every single week. And and probably two thirds of that is on a Sunday. Um, So that's why we're doing it this way but i really wanted to just get this across to anyone listening to free that they think that we've if we're taking anything away or we don't value you or um or anything like that it simply isn't true you know mm. that people... it's i think as well when you're when you're listening to the free podcast it's always going to feel a little bit like that if we go on about how how great a di- you know how great it is over on the patreon podcast and how much better it is but we don't do that um, it, and it isn't, you know, it isn't like that, is it? We we do we offer extra value to the Patreon uh, people <clears throat> as a, because that's just the way the whole operation is set up. Exactly. Um, 
But really, ultimately, you're getting most of it for free on the free podcast. It's just a, it's a slightly different product. And like you said, we have no desire no. to stop a podcast that's popular and successful because, you know, ultimately no. uh, <laughs> money pays our mortgages, but um, our egos are stoked by listener numbers. Yes, and they're, and, and they're the people that leave reviews and that yeah. tell their friends and say, hey, I've just discovered this this new podcast you might Yeah, like. and the people who, who we know, who I mean, obviously, we don't know who of our friends listen um or the people that know us or professionals working in our industry who, who who we work deal with on a daily basis um but sometimes they say something like i i had a a, a friend of ours uh who, who mentioned to me about you know what he liked about the podcast and you know why he thought it was uh good and and that's really nice and it's it's good to sort of uh you know it, it's those things that make us keen to carry on they're yeah. what energize us day to day and the money is something that was designed to help keep the thing going and, and also to improve it because like yeah. we said you know our plan for the money wasn't just about um i mean obviously it's not not, not largely me it's it's nate's project and he spends all his time on it but we were also talking about going places and doing things and and that all has an expense attached to it and it we does can't do that without you know at least someone being invested and we'd rather it was owned by the listeners than um you know it's true uh what's it called wix is that I, all i see on oh, I youtube know. videos is wix it's um it's the website builder thing yeah but it's like why are you targeting me like this? I don't. I don't need a website builder. I've built my own website. It's fine. Yeah. And if you guys would rather do it that way, then you know the feedback. It's always open. The reason we do it this way is to. It means that the small number of people that would really like more of what we do um, and behind the scenes stuff and unedited versions and all that kind of stuff. You know, they're you guys supporters, but but the it's supporting the free stuff as well you know it's it's everybody together everyone supports in their own way and it means we can carry on doing it and i don't mind admitting personally that another part of the reason is that you know we've been doing the show for three years we're coming up to 100 episodes and i needed to work out for myself shall we carry on past episode 100 or was episode 100 going to be the last one we did and go on a big bang and frankly you know doing the patreon and having people email us and having good reviews and people tell us they like the show and things like frankly that motivates you that makes you think mm. yes let's carry on let's 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 see how it goes let's see if we can get to episode 150 episode 200 or or you know into the many hundreds or you know what what have you and that's what it's all about so i i, I had to address it you know because it's it's wrong and basically i was worried that if one person says something then maybe there are other people who didn't say something who think it um and so if you're listening on our free feed thank you for being here you are not expected to pay and we take nothing away from you the the patreon stuff it is there as an option if you want to support us a bit further or if you want more of what we do um but you will never get any less and i'll say it right here right now the show will never become shorter for free people it will never become less regular for free people um so that's the situation. Yeah. I think I and got we spent through that. A lot, we did. And we spent a lot of time talking about what we did and didn't want to do for the free and patron feeds, didn't we? We were, yeah. we were quite... It, it wasn't exact... It didn't, like, just happen. It was a quite considered approach. And we've back, back and forwarded on it quite a bit, haven't we? To try yeah. and... And, I, you know, you've asked me questions about whether I think this or that would work. And I've given you what I think. So, you know, it, it, it's a considered approach. Anyway, that's enough of that, isn't it? 
<laughs> yes. Um, so either way, however you're listening, however you're supporting, whether that's just leaving us a, a, a nice review on on on, a, on an iTunes or similar, telling a colleague, telling a spouse, uh, parents, uh, sons and daughters, whatever way you're supporting, it all matters. And everybody who's listening, we're incredibly grateful. So thank you. And uh, hopefully if the person who did leave that review is still listening, which I strongly doubt, um, then... Um, you know, hopefully this has at least allowed us a reply that sadly iTunes does not let us do. So there we go. Ian, shall we get into some news now? That sounds like a great idea. Right, let's do that. A consortium, love that word, uh, of British companies has unveiled a plan to test driverless cars on UK roads and motorways um, uh, in 2019, according to the BBC, which reported on this this week. Um, the BBC said that the Driven Group also plans to try out a fleet of autonomous vehicles uh, driving between London and Oxford. Uh, now, these cars are going to communicate with, with each other about uh, hazards um, and, and anything that uh, may affect the driving experience, if you like, or the ease of driving. And it will autom- uh, operate with almost full autonomy. Uh, it will have a human on board as well. And most of these trials do tend to still involve um, humans, uh, just in case something goes wrong. And the, the reason this is particularly interesting is that tests of driverless vehicles in the UK have generally taken place uh, very slowly, as in at slow speeds, and they've not been on public roads. They They've been in private areas where the environment can be can be controlled. This is going to be on motorways, uh, which are generally fast and have minimum speed limits. Now, the BBC said that this uh, this consortium driven is is led by a group called Oxbotica, which makes software for driverless vehicles. And uh, it quoted founder Professor Paul Newman of the University of Oxford saying, we're moving from the singleton autonomous vehicle to fleets of autonomous vehicles. And what's interesting is what data the vehicles share with one another, when and why. And the government's put a few million quid behind this project. So I think this is a really interesting idea. I think we'll see when this does start in uh, just over a year and a half, maybe a couple of years time, we'll start seeing reports on social media to begin with as, oh, saw this driverless car and the car was driving and the guy's hands weren't on the wheel. And I think there's a potential, therefore, for this to be quite exciting for us. You know, it's 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 spotting. It's like spotting one of the Google Street View cars and trying to get in the picture or something, um, which happened to me uh, a few months ago, which was quite fun. No, Did I you get in the picture? I have no idea. I forgot to check until now. <laughs> um, but um, but also, of course, the risks here is that if there is an accident, the scrutiny, particularly from you know the the more conservative uh, media outlets in in the country, you know, will jump on it as terror strikes and British motorways as ridiculous. Company A thinks it's fine to do this. Blah 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 blah. But I think it's a great step because we're a little bit behind in testing some of this stuff because a lot of the big companies doing this thing, uh, these sorts of things are in uh, in the US. Uh, so I think there are some in, in Asia, of course, too. Um, Ian, yeah. thoughts, <clears throat> my friend? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that one of the most exciting bits of uh, things about the self-driving cars will be uh, their ability to communicate with each other because it, ultimately if a car knows it's going to have to brake, then communicating that with the cars further down the road could mean that you'd have much more like a the uh, you know the the goal would be to have like a train where the lead car pulls away and all of the subsequent cars pull away at the exact same speed and that means you can clear a traffic light with a lot more uh, precision and speed. Uh, although I guess the long term goal is to um, 
to would be to get rid of every kind of traffic management system in, entirely. Uh, when all cars are able to talk to one another, you'll be able to have no traffic lights and crossings will just be managed by the cars talking to each other, which would be you know amazing but that's you know maybe a hundred years away perhaps i don't know maybe maybe not a hundred years but i think by this time in a hundred years we'll definitely have got rid of humans driving cars there will be no point there'll be you know hyperloops everywhere or yeah I mean, like that. we've largely got rid of them driving planes already well you know. yes i mean that is true and you know and computers are generally better at things like that um, you know, with a few small examples, uh, sorry, a few small exceptions of things, uh, you know, if you only have to look at the car itself, mostly it's not mechanics that let cars down, you know, I, I mean, the, the the engineering and stuff like that. It's the human behind the wheel. So as soon as we get rid of all those people doing that dangerous thing, it'll be better. I mean, I'm obviously I am split because I like cars. And I don't know what the world will look like when there's no cars that are, you know, when they're just objects of conveyance. What will happen when there's no supercars? Yes. Well, quite. We'll have to keep our eye on it, I suppose, won't we? <laughs> well, we will. It'll happen sooner or later. Podcast at natelangson.com. Do let us know your thoughts on this, uh, for or against. Now, there was an interesting write-up on Engadget this week, Ian, um, this week. It, uh, it showed that book sales in the UK are on the rise. However, not because of ebooks. thank you very much. Um, that's because figures for 2016 were released uh, by a group called the Publishers Association, writes Engadget, and it showed within those figures that there was a 7% rise over 2015 uh, for 2016 in the sale of physical books. And that's the largest year-over-year growth in a decade. Um, physical sale books uh, were up... 8% uh, apparently in uh, I don't know why that figure is different in my write up but about 7 or 8% uh, but ebooks sell, uh, themselves fell 3%. Now the blame on this has been placed on what are called consumer ebooks that's uh, your fiction stuff and biographies. Um and they slipped 17% in 2016 versus 2015. And it's been suggested in part that maybe we spend so much time on our smartphones and our laptops and iPads and things that for many, reading a printed book is actually an opportunity to disconnect. And, and so the printed book there does win. Uh, it may also be why this is the second year in a row that consumer ebook sales have dropped. Um, there are, I think, personally, some other factors at play here, maybe fewer good books were released that people actually wanted to buy um, or that maybe and I saw I saw this on a, on a separate write-up part of the reason is that some of the really big books um, w- were ones like the new Harry Potter book where a lot of people wanted to buy those as gifts uh, and people prefer to give a printed book as a gift than an ebook because you can wrap one of them versus the other yeah. so you know that's not to say that it's it's a tiny market i mean it's still over 200 million pounds a year uh, just in in these uh, these ebooks um so it's still a big deal but um at the moment at least it's, it seems that the the old printed page is seeing a a little bit of a bit of a comeback a bit of a bit of a strong player ian do you make do you read uh, do you read many printed books do you prefer ebooks <clears throat> it's interesting I, i'm gonna I, i'll be honest most of the reading i do is on my computer and it's not because of where we are in the world at the moment, I, I'm I'm mostly concerned with current affairs, and I don't read a huge amount of fiction. Particularly, um, the book I'm reading at the moment um, on my Kindle is the E is the um, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald uh, Snowden book. Nowhere to hide. 
Uh, yeah, um, good uh, because um, but, but again, it, that's all tied into current affairs. I, I basically find that I'm mostly consumed by that at the moment. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I haven't picked up a fiction book for ages. I've got to say, I do. I I like I like physical books, but I like the Kindle almost as much. But I I would say I like a book, a reading a book. I don't know why. I do find it a little bit more of a struggle on a Kindle. I'm I'm somewhere in in a different category to this because um you know we're we're talking here about ebooks but I'm a massive fan of the audiobook you know which may come as very little surprise yeah. to to people um what with the whole podcasting thing um but I mean I I used to read far less fiction than I than I do now and and like you I, I like a lot of um sort of current affairs things but I mean I read an awful lot of um you know books about North Korea and 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 have done for many years and 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 Japanese history and a lot of stuff like that and I did I do tend to prefer um, the the physical book for those uh, for for the reasons that some have posited online that it's a, it's a chance to escape it's going to a coffee shop putting your phone away and uh, and just focusing on 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 that book uh, and I like that and I can't remember the last time I read an ebook you know certainly not one that I that I paid for so. You know that's 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 a different thing. Here's what I do like about ebooks, of course, is the fact that I can decide to buy one and buy it now and have it that second. True. The the thing is though, with things like Amazon Prime, if you are buying from from Amazon for, for books, um, it does arrive very very quickly, and they do have some deals where you buy a if you buy a book from them, you get the first couple of chapters available on Kindle, so you can read that while you wait for it to post. Um, they've done that for for years with with music as well. You buy a CD and you get an MP3 version in your Amazon library straight away to listen to. So mm. it serves both issues. Well, let us know how you currently divide your time between ebooks or maybe audio books or printed books do you have a preference have your habits changed you know that would be a really interesting thing to hear about if if you used to read a lot of printed books but actually now you prefer ebooks or vice versa we'd love to hear some examples either on uh, on twitter at text message pod you can tweet us uh, your thoughts there or email us directly podcast at natelangson.com we'd love to hear some thoughts on this for next week's show Well, Ian, uh, something happened this week, or something I read about this week, tied into a column I wrote uh, this week for our patrons uh, about uh, adverts and and creepy adverts and privacy. Um, And the story is that uh, this month, Channel 4 uh, in the UK is bringing a new ad format to its on-demand platform, uh, which targets the viewer in a much more direct way, specifically including their name as part of the promotion. Uh, which it can do because if you're registered for on demand, which uh, you have to be, which you have to be, then it knows your name or certainly knows the name that you you input. Um, a few advertisers have signed on already on behalf of 21st uh, 20th Century Fox. Aren't they 21st Century Fox now? They, yeah, they are. Okay, well they've signed up whichever name. Uh, Foster's the beer people, Ron Seal. Um, they're, they're among the first that I saw written about this week at least. Uh, and users will be able to opt out of seeing them if oh. they find them intrusive or creepy, which I most certainly would um ian before i carry on i'm curious what you think to these types of ads in general i I hate everything about this i thought that might be the case i it's just i mean i understand what they're trying to do they're trying to get engagement in in a world where it's quite difficult to get engagement but i i just think it says everything 
Right, the whole registration thing was annoying at the start when they said, right, you're going to have to register now. It used to be that you could watch for free, um, but the extra features would only be added for people who who registered. For example, um, a, building up a profile of shows that you wanted to watch or letting it suggest to you things that you would probably enjoy. But mostly allowing people to still see programmes without it. And, and then, you know, they said, oh, we're going to make people register. And everyone's like, okay, but I mean, is this not going to be like, you know, just a, an ad sales thing. And then sure enough, along comes this idea and I don't like it. I do not like it at all. I imagine that might be the case. It It is very much creepy. Um, now, I wrote about this um, in this week's column, uh, which, which goes out to some of our um, some of our patrons. I do a column once, once a week over there about something that's intrigued me or, or this week uh, disturbed me in the news. Um, and, and part of this was because I, there were two occasions, one where I saw a hyper-personalized ad uh, from a company called uh, Trainline.com, where I'd looked up some train times, didn't buy the tickets because I was just looking at the information. And then the next day on a completely unrelated website when I was reading the news, an ad popped up uh, suggesting I complete the journey to the town in question that I was going to. And I just found that to be in- incredibly creepy. And then on Instagram, which I don't use very often, but I do check in once a week, I'd left a comment on somebody's uh, picture. They were in a town that is very, very close to where I'm getting married in October. And I left a comment along those lines about my my wedding. And I'm convinced, I'm 99% convinced that I only started seeing ads about wedding paraphernalia after I posted that comment on several yeah. occasions, whereas <laughs> I never likely. noticed them before. And I thought both of these things, I don't know, they just, they 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 creep me out. They made me feel bad towards Trainline because I, I was like, no naughty that does not make me feel good it makes me feel bad about the brand so i wrote that in the column and this example uh the channel four is doing is again another example there and and i know this is where ads are going you know personalization is key maybe this has great conversion rates maybe that's why everyone wants to do it because it catches your eye and that's that's good for advertisers but i do think that that people are so aware of it now that there will be a pushback so um i'm curious obviously about other people's people's views on this but it's going to start this month i believe um if anyone's seen one of these already, I haven't personally seen one because I don't uh, I don't use Channel 4's service. But if you have seen one and you've had one of these ads, I would love, 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 love to, to hear about that and how that made you feel. Uh, wouldn't you, Ian? Yeah, I would. And I mean, we see this. I mean, you can always tell when something's a bad idea, can't you? When it when it crops up in fiction, it's kind of like, oh, watch out, guys. It's This could happen one day. And I remember, uh, I think, is it Minority Report or, or yeah, iRobot or something? And there are, there are, yeah. And there are personalised ads, aren't there, on the street? And, and you see it a lot in, in, uh, in science fiction. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it, it's just alarming, really. And it means that they've got a they've got access to something about you. I mean, it may only be your name this time, but, uh, you know, once they've done that, then they'll be like, what else can we use? And it's a creep, isn't it? And it becomes, it'll become from name, it'll be to gender, and then it'll be, you know, something you bought recently. Oh, we saw you bought our competitor's product. I bet you're not happy with it. Why don't you buy our product? Yeah, which is always silly when you're followed around to being advertised things that you've just bought, uh, which happened a lot when we uh, bought our house. Uh, Not that we're being shown new houses, but coffee tables constantly. I couldn't get a rid, could not get away from coffee tables. Like there was no box to say, I've already bought one, sod off, which would have been a lovely option. And and I got, and I got, you know, when I look for something, I will almost almost certainly see adverts constantly for it. But a lot of the time I might be doing some research, so it might not be a product I'm actually interested in. Um, and I, I guess for them, it's just a matter of mopping up those 
those people who um who were undecided and who who would still like to buy one but yeah 99% of the time I just think well that's wasted money isn't it or if I've already bought it I'm like well this is absolutely wasted money because I've already bought the thing yeah well we had a good response from one of our patrons uh mike uh hello mike via email uh, in response to the to the column that i'd written uh who said i clean my history and cookies on my browser after each use i use a vpn i primarily do my shopping on amazon using my fire, uh, kindle fire thus far i've never seen a hyper targeted ad like the ones you mentioned i get recommendations via email from ebay but they are all they are way off base um only the ads on my kindle are more relevant what i see on my browser chrome are pretty random my guess is that i'm pretty hard to target um, i like that yeah i i agree too i think if you can make yourself really difficult uh, to target then uh, you can have some fun with the advertisers or though. just totally spoil their data by having a bot search on your connection for everything that you could possibly imagine or for a laugh put that bot on someone else's machine and <laughs> uh, and generate some and very odd set, ads for them only for a very specific kind of i don't know elbow cream yes El- elbow leave Ian, you were excited about something this week, the Galaxy S8, uh, which was released relatively recently. You've you've been sent one. The S8, the Galaxy S8 even, um, is a much anticipated phone, I guess, isn't it? And I, I'm, I've managed to get my hands on one, which is good. Um, and I've got to say, I am feeling very happy about this phone. I, it has given me enormous pleasure. I, I won't proclaim a full sort of verdict on it yet because I have only been using it for a few days. But in terms of looking at this phone, you think, goodness gracious me, this company has come on so far. Um, There are not very many pieces of industrial design, I think, that can show Apple how it's done. Uh, But I would say that the S8 is exactly that. I'm going to pick it up. Hold on. This will work well on audio listeners. (laughs) Well, yeah, because because I feel like I should be holding it whilst i i talk um, yes touch and tell and, yeah and and you look you know the, the manufacturing process for this is very slightly different to how how it's done with apple obviously this is two pieces of glass that are sort of bonded around a central piece of metal mm-hmm. um and indeed you can uh, there, there's been a very nice hack i've seen online where someone has uh, removed the back cover stripped the paint off and uh, is then left with a clear back which is actually a really really nice idea i think uh, samsung should pursue that as an idea as an option Mm -hmm. um but the but the build quality of this thing is really very nice um it's tall and thin which means you can reach your thumb almost across the whole thing with relative ease i've got to say um the one thing that i i I believe about the s8 now is that it's samsung's almost sort of invalidated the point of having the plus um it's not like apple where the the plus is a is a sort of a it's given an extra feature, which is yeah. almost critical. Like uh, the camera on the Plus, I don't, I, I just wouldn't want to live without it. I just think that camera is so good. Having is, it that, is, that, is, that the main, is that the main phone you use, the, the iPhone 7 Plus? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day to day. And the camera is a big part of that. It is not the best camera in the world on the uh, iPhone 7. I think that they, I mean, I've said this a few times before. I think they made a bit of a misstep. Um, because they they increased the resolution and that's had an impact on the low light sensitivity. And I, I feel like um, phones like the Google Pixel, it, the S8, which uses similar technology, have sort of leapfrogged ahead very slightly. And low light doesn't sound like a massive deal, perhaps, to a lot of people. Um, 
but it, it influences the quality of every picture you take to some degree. And the Pixel, um, I have to say, is the best low light camera I've personally. It's really ever good, used. and I, I, I ha- like I said, I haven't fully tested the S8 yet um, to see how how well it compares to the Pixel. But the Pixel so, has so, got so, it nailed. Tell me, tell, tell me a bit more about then what's made you so excited about this? Because at the end of the day, I, when I hear people, um, you know, really going overboard about how much they love the new iPhone and how much they love the new Galaxy, I think, well, what were you expecting? Were you expecting to hear? Oh, it's it's very average. You know, it's always huge excitement, and and I sort of think, well, why are you surprised? Like, what's just... so <clears throat> overwhelming that it beat even your you know meager expectations up front? Well, I, d- I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's m- about meager expectations particularly. I I I just feel like if, I mean. I suppose I'm a little bit easier on these companies than maybe some people are. I understand that technology progresses at a certain rate and that there comes a point in any product where it's a struggle to add new features. There's only so much you can do. um, And each iterative update is largely a few small tweaks, which is why if I was buying my own phone, I don't think I'd be too bothered about jumping, say... Um, I would have wanted the iPhone 7, but I, I probably, you know, I could have lived with the, I would definitely say I would have, would never have upgraded to the Galaxy S7 over the S6 um, because I have an S6 Edge and I love that phone. I think it's the perfect ratio of size, um, design and features and it's still going strong now and that's now two years old, right? So mm. I, I, for me, that phone was sort of like... Um, it, it was the phone where they changed it just enough, added all the right features, and it just works really well. So tell the me S8... another. Tell me another thing about the S8 then that makes it so spectacular. Well, in your limited testing so far. In my limited testing so far, um, I would say I would say I'm finding the camera extremely nice. I'm really enjoying the camera. Would I you find... swap it for an iPhone? Mm. Your, your, the iPhone Seven. That's a really good question. I Thank don't you. know. I I, would, I, th- I think probably more testing would be needed. Okay. Um, I, I suspect it's better. I, I, my, my gut would say that it's probably a better performer. Um, again, there are some differences, like that Samsung's the way that Samsung processes images. Um, I think you always get a more natural picture with the iPhone, mm-hmm. um, and I like natural pictures. Like that's my thing. I like I like a picture to not be too blown out in its color. Yes, um, I like. I have to say, I mean, I've got a I've got a Pixel as well, and and an iPhone Seven Plus, and and they both have HDR modes, um, high dynamic range photography mm. modes, uh, which do create a better picture in many environments i find the hdr mode on the iphone is a little more subtle than the one that's yeah. on the google pixel like in the pixel one you can instantly tell it's hdr on the iphone one you can tell it's different and it looks clear but it might not be super immediate that it's been that it's had some processing applied to it um, the hdr and- i think it needs to be something that just lifts a few details from areas that would be normally overexposed yeah um and that's enough to really cheer up a photo and actually you're right i recently had had cause to um, to look at what the iPhone was doing uh, with with HDR photos, and actually, it's it's really good. Like, it, it really makes a huge difference. Tell me, um, tell me something. I want to know something. Well, it's... I was taking some pictures outside. No, I, I had and... a specific thing in mind. to Tell me. I mean, go ahead. Oh right, I, sorry. I, I, I thought you were going to just ask me about what it was I'd seen that had made me think, "Oh, that's really good." No, I mean, go oh. ahead. Well, go no, on. go on. Ask me the question. Ask sorry, me the question. It's, not, it's not about cameras. Oh, yeah. What is it about? Here's what it's about. I'm curious as to whether, if a listener is listening, which most listeners are by nature, um, if they have a, a uh, let's say they've got an S7 
and they've got yeah. an iPhone, or they've got not a seven iPhone seven, an iPhone six or a six S. Yeah. Um, based on what you've used of this S eight so far, would you would you say it is worth an upgrade to oh, this? Right. So to switch from iPhone, an older iPhone, to a newer Galaxy, or the previous Samsung. Uh, yeah. the, the, let's say the the, set, the the six or the seven, but probably well, more the seven to this one. Would you uh, let's say they're being offered an upgrade, but it in, involves tying into a new contract? Oh well, yeah. I mean, all all, all upgrades involve being tied into a new contract. Um, I I would I would apply my usual logic. I would say don't ever break a contract or you know get get tied up in you know trying to sell a phone and I it's all nonsense, right? So yes, the phone is physically the nicest phone they've ever made. It's beautifully made. I like the new ratio. It's it's great. The screen is superb. Um, but no, I, d- I don't ever think people should be rushing to upgrade. I think you've got to be you've got to be clever with your money. Like if you're a millionaire, fine, do what you want. But I'll bet you money, no millionaire has got that way by being stupid with cash. Um, no. So you know, wait. There's there's never a reason to re- really. Leave. And we see all of these new phones, don't we? Right. And I'm always thrilled to get in my hands on a new phone. And there's always bits and pieces about it that I really like. So I think Samsung's nailed a load of stuff. Um, for example, uh, the the look of it now. It has non-physical buttons, um, and and the top bar, as as with a lot of Androids for some time now, is now transparent, so that you you see the background through the thing. It gives this phone a nice, a very, it's slick. It's really slick, and it's slick in a way that I don't think Apple's quite got yet. And a lot of the rumours we're seeing around the iPhone eight suggest that it's it's things like this, you know, giving it a, a sort of contiguous look. Um, with with buttons over overlaid on the screen rather than physical keys is something that I think adds something to the look of a phone. Yeah, but and, also- and that, that that will be very interesting as well this year because it's a it is the tenth anniversary of the iPhone and it's expected yeah. Apple's going to do some big wow factor you know high end release for that. But at the same time, the upgrade cycle for Apple's phones is very predictable. They go yeah. you know iPhone four, iPhone four S, iPhone five, iPhone five S, iPhone six, iPhone six S, iPhone seven. We're now ready for an iPhone seven S, which is normally incremental you know often software-based updates modest updates to, to technology not groundbreaking overhauls of um, industrial design which is what maybe the anniversary edition will be instead but yeah, it does I think, mean I that think the challenge a... will be on apple to create yeah. something that can compete with this if if that's the way that consumer sentiment is pointing I, in terms of I being a desirable that... thing there will be a high-priced option, won't there, for the yeah. iPhone that will be probably out of the reach of a lot of people, um, but will be a an anniversary celebration of the phone. Um, and I, I don't. I mean, again, it, it it just comes back to what's physically possible. That you know, we cannot leapfrog physics, can we? Um, and a lot of them are really struggling at the moment to get this hidden fingerprint scanner tech working, where you embed it beneath the screen. Um, and it's obviously not working on mass, uh, which is a problem, which is what Samsung wanted to do. They have placed it at the back. It is a pain in the bottom. Um, and I have to say that I didn't think I was going to be too off, put off by its location. Um, but in fact, I have been. It's, it's incredibly inconvenient. Tell me, um, tell me, tell me, tell me about the headphones. I want to know about the headphones. You, you want to know about the headphones. You talked about the bundled headphones, which yeah. in most products are generally, you know, average at best, but basically chuck away and and buy some better ones. Yeah. But you've been well, raving about these. There's a there's uh, yeah, and there, and I would say that you probably wouldn't be quite so enthusiastic, um, but they sound pretty good. They have a good range. They have they have some bass. It's not overwhelming. They have 
not overblown treble, I would say. The mid-range is clear. Uh, they fit very comfortably. They're nice to wear in your ears. Um, and there's a few other niceties about it as well. For example, they're made of a fabric. Uh, there's a fabric wrap around the uh, majority of the cable, which means that they don't get tangled very easily. And I tangled them deliberately the other night, um, and they just they just come apart really easily. It's quite nice. Uh, Samsung said, I think, something like, oh, this is a $99 pair of headphones. And I, I strongly dispute that. I don't feel like this is a in that price range. I would say if you were going to go out and spend £30 on a pair of headphones, th- this is probably what you'd get. Which something is amazing like because, because you know, for the, the, the ones that come in the box for the iPhone, uh, while they're not the worst out there, they are, you know, I mean, they just sit in a drawer. Like, I've they're, they're say, worth a fiver. For me, quid, it, it, it's about... A lot. I would say almost half of the experience with headphones is how they fit in my ears. Um, for one thing, even a really good pair of really expensive headphones will not sound good if they aren't seated in your ear with the correct size grommet. Um, and 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 out of the box, these are comfortable. They fit well. They're light, um, and that, therefore you get a little advantage in you know that the sound is transmitted well. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're fundamentally included headphones. They're never going to be as good as a pair that you buy yourself. But for the people who almost certainly do what they do, which is get the phone, take the headphones out of the box, use the headphones until they break, they're a great pair of headphones. Now, it and reminds me. It reminds they don't me have a... Samsung written on them, which means they ha- they'll have a, a tiny amount more street cred as well. Well, uh, if you have opinions uh, or questions uh, about or for Ian, uh, well, ab- about Ian's views, I mean, you can ask Ian questions about himself. He probably won't answer you. Um, <laughs> you about the S8 and his experiences so far, do send them in. Podcast at natelangson.com. If you've bought one and received one already and want to tell us uh, if you agree or disagree with anything Ian said, then uh, again, send the points there or to at text message pod. Um, I'll probably get one in at some point and have a play, largely just so I can disagree with, uh, with Ian uh, for a laugh. I don't, well, we'll, we'll do yeah. that on a future episode. You're welcome to do to do so, but I think you'll struggle to find anything majorly wrong with it. It is very pleasant. Well, challenge accepted, Chief. One very little quick news story I just wanted to chuck in here because it's so close to my heart. Uh, I saw this on the BBC. Uh, Apparently an overuse of mobile phones by parents disrupts family life. Uh, This is according to a survey of secondary school pupils, uh, as I said, as reported by the BBC. Now, about 2,011 to 8-year-olds, 11 to 8, 11 to 18-year-olds were surveys in this poll, and more than a third of them said they had asked their parents to stop checking their devices. Now, as a little Uh side note before we go further, I find this incredibly hard to believe and probably assume this is a massive double standard because if you've ever seen an 11 to 18 year old basically anywhere uh phones are glued to them i walk to a train station every morning which may come as a very little surprise uh and i always pass um, a lot of um, secondary school kids who are going to get their trains usually in groups of you know two three or four they're all standing there with the phones out with their earphones in sort of talking to each other but largely paying attention to whatever's on their phone and I think, fine, that's the way kids are, whatever. I do find it very surprising to think that two-thirds of the ones that I see have said to their parents, Mum, tell you something, you use your phone too much. I just don't think it happens. I think uh, it's a bit of double standards going on here. However... I can... Yeah, go on. I, I will continue with the numbers. Uh, 14% of, uh, of those surveys said that their parents were online at mealtimes 
14% say that. Uh, however, 95% of 3,000 parents who were polled separately said they do not use their phones at mealtimes. So somebody's telling Porkies. I suspect it's the parents because they're embarrassed to admit that they use their phone through dinner instead of talking to their children. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I that's what I'd do. If I, if I was polled, I'd probably lie. Um... And uh, what else do we have here? Um, oh, 82% of uh, kids uh, polled f- uh, felt that mealtimes should be device-free, uh, which is more interesting that I think that almost 20% thinks it's fine to use their phone at mealtimes. Um, you know, uh, each to their own there. And then 22% of those po- polled, so nearly a quarter, said that the use of mobile phones stopped their families enjoying each other's company. Um, which I can believe. And I'm trying not to be judgmental here. As everyone knows, I'm, I'm very much a proponent for sort of switching off and not using phones through dinners and mealtimes and things. Uh, I just found these numbers very, very interesting. And I think there's a good balance. And I think that companionable silence is actually is quite endearing. You know, if you're just sitting around, you know, playing on your iPads uh, silently while something's on the telly, I think that can be really lovely too. Uh, but mealtimes and uh, and things are a little different. And I just found that yeah. these numbers were, were quite interesting. What do you well, think, I, as, no, a, I mean- as a parent? Um, yeah, I, I, what I would say, I, I sometimes get told that I'm on my phone too much, but I think that the kids learn it from parents. So I don't actually think kids care that much. They, they, they see it and they don't necessarily think it's unusual. Um, but I've, I've been, you know, as he said, oh, why, why are you on the app again? Or whatever like that, you know, and uh, it's fine. I, I, I accept the fact that, you know, I look at my phone a fair bit. That's because I'm, you know, seeing what's going on with the world. I'm always thinking about, you know, stories and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and fundamentally, I, I, like you, I don't think there's really any reason to be checking your phone at mealtime. I have to admit, I come from having had a meal where I have been checking my phone because obviously we discuss uh, various aspects of the show ahead of recording it. So we well, I'm an exception to the rule. It's always fine to be messaging me during meal times, during uh, when you're at the cinema, on the toilet, uh, (laughs) you know, during uh, you know adult congress, like all acceptable if it's if it's to me about the show because they're the levels we go to to give people this kind of quality output. (laughs) Quality output. What a great observation that was. uh, Very good. absolutely awe-inspiring of course um yeah so um so yeah uh but i people do use their phones a lot and um it's a sort of new problem right because what what can i say you know we didn't have phones when i was a kid so it's very difficult to know how it would be magazines Um, mate it was magazines a lot this is the thing right so i mean all of us probably have memories of our parents uh ignoring us while they were reading the paper uh, you know, or something like that. It, it 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 isn't really any different. It's just a different thing. Yeah, it is. Well, let us know your views on this. Um, obviously, you know, I mean, I may have offended some people, may have intrigued some people, and, and apologies or. Um you're welcome, depending on which side of that fence you fall on. Um, yeah. Just some observations, but let us know any thoughts you have. Podcast at nateslangson.com. Do you have any rules uh, in, in your family about you know when acceptable phone time is uh, or is not? Uh, we'd love to to uh, extend this uh, into another episode if you have some feedback. Podcast at nateslangson.com. And speaking of podcast at nateslangson.com, uh, we had a few emails this week. One, um, just wanted to note uh, from Kyriakos, uh, who uh, did make a really interesting point about uh, our conversation regarding contactless payment uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, which is if you use, if you go into uh, TFL or start a train journey, uh, you have to tap in at the beginning and you tap out at the end of your journey. And he highlighted that maybe an issue that, that that's sort of bubbling is the fact that you could have a debit card registered to a couple of different phones as well as the debit card itself. And, and should these stations maybe acknowledge the fact that 
instead of forcing you to use the same device, maybe it should be okay to, you know, to tap in with the debit card contactlessly on your iPhone, but tap out with the card itself and not be billed separately or things like that. I thought that was a really interesting point that we should keep our eye on. Um, We also had an email from uh, longtime uh, listener Richard Gunther, who says, uh, Hi guys, you were asking if any of your listeners agreed with the assertion that Planet Earth 2 might encourage one to move to 4K. Uh, we did indeed. I think that was last last week. Um, uh, Richard continues, I've already made that move and I've purchased Planet Earth 2 on Ultra HD Blu-ray. Uh, like you with AudioNate, I still purchase video content on physical media so I can get the highest quality while keeping my viewing options open. I can tell you that the visuals, particularly with HDR enabled, are stunning. Like other HDR titles, the images are so realistic they almost appear to have depth. This will likely become a reference disc set for many. And I remember reading some reviews on uh, just on Amazon on the listing for UHD where a few other uh, home cinema enthusiasts say that this was a really great uh, like reference picture quality that others should be compared against. Uh, Richard continues, there's one area where this particular 4K title disappoints. Nearly every 4K title available today is packaged with standard Blu-ray equivalents and, and digital copy redemption codes for the same content. While you can find editions that include standard Blu-ray discs in the UK, that's not true of the version released in the US. And I haven't found any that include uh, digital copy redemption. Uh, so it looks like so this looks great on my 4K TV, but I won't be able to watch this on anything else. So much for keeping my options open. Uh, now, thank you very much, Richard. I think some really interesting points there, and I I always love feedback about stuff where uh, there's a really big difference between how something is in in Britain for us and another country. Uh, and this is a great example of where it seems we get a slightly better deal uh, on on uh, on the Blu-ray stuff here. And as a side note, uh, Richard uh, does a great podcast. He didn't mention this. This this is just because I happen to know it. He does a great podcast called Entertainment 2.0 at uh, the digitalmediazone.com, which if you do like uh, observations like this about home theatre, I would give it a give it a shout. And uh, anyone who emails in, I'll be happy to plug anything you make too, because we do love your emails so very much. So thank you, Kyriakos and, uh, and Richard and Mike earlier in the show and everyone else who's uh, got in touch this week. Uh, podcast at natelangson.com. We look forward to hearing more for next week's show. Uh, but Meanwhile, I think it's time to check in with Tom Merritt and hear what's been going on over the last few days in the wider world of tech. Tom. Hey, thanks, Nate. This week we talked about Twitter's spam bot problem and whether they're doing enough to combat it. Talked about Twitter's desire to become a 24-7 video channel, too. We discussed whether Google is in fact finally the new Microsoft, which people have been saying for years. Kicked around the rumor that Apple might get into competition with payment services like Venmo. Parents, ask your kids. And why don't Android phones get OS updates for more than two years? Maybe blame the chip makers. All that and more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you guys. Thanks, Tom. Actually, their discussions in about uh, Twitter's developments that, that he just mentioned, uh, well worth hearing. I'm really mm. curious about what, what Twitter's doing uh, with video. And I think uh, live, sort of 24-7 live video on Twitter is just so interesting. It's so far away from what they used to be. But at yeah. the same time, using Twitter alongside live TV feels like such a natural partnership. So uh, do check that out, dailytechnewsshow.com. That's it, Ian. We're done. A little bit of a longer episode, thanks to our uh, introductory explanation about <laughs> uh, the Patreon and free shows. So uh, you've got a longer bit of us uh, this week, regardless of whether you're supporting us on Patreon.com uh, or supporting us uh, simply by listening and telling your friends and family and leaving us reviews. Uh, however you're listening, you're all part of the family, and Ian and I love you dearly. It's your day. We, we treat you all as equals, uh, except for the, the people who do support us financially and they get a longer version. Uh, but we've gone over that. Um, I think I'll do, Ian. I'm starving. I need some sausage. <laughs> you go and fill your face with sausage, mate. I shall. Uh, go and have an avocado.
Oh, I will do two. Well, actually, I've had an avocado today. I don't need another one. Mm, okay. I've got some guacamole for later, though. That's interesting. Well, we'll come back to that on next week's episode of <laughs> Things Nate and Ian Have Swallowed. <laughs> Tumblr.com. Bye, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.